Bible, although uh, I am, uh, this morning I'm going to read from the New American Standard. I memorized this section of scripture years ago, and uh, I memorized it in the New American Standard, and I have a hard time reading it uh, in another translation, so my bad, but uh, sorry, you're stuck with me. So uh, anyway, uh, so we've decided to work through the summer season uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, you know, Bible scholars refer this, to this uh, letter uh, as the Alps, uh, the highest revelation uh, of what it means uh, that God saved us uh, throughout the New Testament. Uh, Paul writes this letter from prison, probably in Rome, uh, uh, to this church that he started a few years earlier uh, during his third missionary journey. And if you're interested uh, at home, if you'd like to read uh, Acts 19, it'll give you a little bit of a glimpse into uh, how the church got started. Uh, Ephesus was a very large city. It's along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, it's a very uh, diverse culture, probably similar to San Francisco would be uh, a great way to think about the city of Ephesus. It was the epicenter uh, of, of worship for uh, the Greek and Roman gods. So there's a lot of diverse spirituality uh, with all port cities like uh, San Francisco or New York, uh, a, a lot of different trading of ideas, ways of thinking from around the world. So th they have a, a, a tremendous amount of diversity and different kinds of influences going on there. Now, what's exciting, if you read about it in uh, Acts chapter 19, is how God does an amazing work in spite of the opposition uh, that the Apostle Paul uh, had in Ephesus. He starts with this handful of people who get filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 19, and then a church explodes. Uh, so much so that uh, the synagogue, the Jewish people, they didn't want him around anymore, so they refused to allow him to come to the synagogue anymore. So uh, the Apostle Paul started literally a church and a school uh, it, it, there in Ephesus and ended up being there for two years. And uh, not only led people to Christ, but trained them up for ministry. And it says in the book of Acts that they literally reached the entire uh, Asia Minor uh, part of the continent, uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, uh, with the gospel. Hundreds and thousands of people came to Christ as a result of his ministry. So much so that uh, they had a, um, a man named Dimitri uh, who led, uh, we'll, we'll call it the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, okay, uh, they, they led the, uh, the silver uh, idol-making industry, making little statues and little things you wear around your neck, these little things that people put on their, on their uh, nightstands or, or whatever, uh, f for the god of, of Artemis, uh, these little superstitious uh, spiritual emblems that we've seen in our own culture uh, at times. Uh, uh, they made a lot of those, and they made a lot of money doing it. And Dimitri was so upset because he was losing all his business. People were getting saved. They were bringing their books of witchcraft and sorcery and burning them, literally. Uh, bomb fires. Uh, so it was quite a revival taking place. Uh, really upset the people. <clears throat> Eventually, of course, excuse me, they drove Paul uh, out of town uh, after a couple of years. But nevertheless, this church is uh, a, a powerful church and uh, Paul, of course, we talked about a little bit last week. He's writing to encourage them to stand firm. And uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, of course, he gives that great picture of spiritual battle against demonic forces. Stand firm. 
uh, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And uh, that's where we're headed in this book. But he, he helps them learn how to stand firm in several different ways throughout the book. Last week we talked about standing firm in our new identity, being armed with a new identity in Christ. And that's uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, you're welcome to take a look at that online or maybe read chapter 1 on your own. This morning I'm going to talk about being armed with grace. And I'm looking forward to this time with you this morning. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse uh, 1 through 10. Let me read it for you. It says, And you were dead... One that's sinking a little bit. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, God's anger or God's wrath, even as the rest, as the rest of the world. But God, that's an important statement. We're going to take a look at that. But God, can we say but God? But God, aren't you thankful for that? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. The Greek word there is uh, polema. Uh, it's the same word. We get the word poem. For we are his workmanship. His, some translations say masterpiece. Uh, but the idea is that we're his passionate expression of his love. Uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared uh, beforehand so that we could walk in them. I'm going to stop there and say a prayer. Jesus, uh, this morning, I want to thank you for these words, but Lord, without the help of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to see what you're saying to us individually and personally, Lord, we just can't get it. Lord, we need your help, so we thank you for helping us this morning. In Jesus' name, uh, would you say amen with me? Amen. There, there, there is uh, an amazing, to me, an amazing overview of, of your life. If you're a believer or a follower of Jesus, uh, there's an amazing overview of your life in these 10 verses of what happened before you became a Christian, uh, of, of, of what happened as you were wandering away from God, I guess you could say, how you woke up to God, you were awakened to God, and then how God, of course, uh, for all eternity, is, is, is working in you and through you to bring glory, honor, and praise to him. So uh, let's look at verse 1 and 2, and we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working uh, in the sons of disobedience. Now, that verse is an amazing mouthful. Uh, but it's true. We were dead. Why don't you tell your neighbor you were dead? See, I don't think we believe that. I really don't think it was that bad. I wasn't that bad. No, you weren't that bad. You were dead. 
I get a chance sometimes to be with families <clears throat> uh, when someone's died. And of course, uh, it's always kind of weird, you know, standing there with a, a person who's uh, dead. And uh, occasionally, um, families will want to embalm the body and uh, have a viewing. So they put them in a casket, dress them up as good as they can, but they are dead. Anyway, um, you know, dress them up the best they can, a little bit of makeup. They look a little, uh, you know, anyway, they're dead. Um, and, and we'll be sitting there and uh, talking. And uh, sometimes they'll say something, maybe funny that that person did or something they remember or maybe something about them that wasn't maybe the best quality, uh, character quality in their life. And they'll go, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I should say that in front of them. <clears throat> They're dead. <laughs> They're dead. They, they, they have no ability to hear. They have no ability to respond. They're dead. Okay. You weren't partially alive. You weren't a good person. You were dead. You were dead. That's who we were. We were dead. Now, I don't know where we got the idea that Christianity is about making bad people good. But that is not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about making bad people good. Christianity is about making dead people alive. You were dead. And, you know, I'm sorry, but some of us get really frustrated with what's going on in the world around us. We think, can you, what are they doing? What are they doing? It's, it's really frustrating what's happening in society or what's happening in our nation. <clears throat> They're dead. That's the problem. Just like you were dead, they are dead. People who don't know Christ aren't confused. They're not flawed. They're not bad people. They're dead people. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't know how that affects you, but I'll tell you how it affects me is we need a miracle. People need a miracle. You can be as nice as you want, but unless they experience a miracle, they have no hope. They're dead. And that's why your prayer life, your prayer life is the answer. It's so significant. It's, it's so important. Now, this is hard for us, especially as Westerners. We've been trained with humanism that we're basically good people, that there's good inside of you, and given enough time, you know, we're just going to evolve into this amazingly great, wonderful person. All we do is fix the environmental problems and all the things that are going wrong. You know, people don't have enough money, so we need to give them more uh, unemployment, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I realize, you know, these are emotionally charged issues and lots of different perspectives, so this is not a message about socialism or society or anything. But this is hard for us to grasp because we think Christianity is a tune-up. We're trying to tune up good people. And that's not what Christianity is all about. It's about dead people coming alive. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. Okay, he says, uh, 
Basically, he says in Romans 5, and I'll let you read it at home, start about verse 12, but basically when Adam sinned against God, when he ate the fruit that God commanded him not to, does anyone remember that story? Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. God said, when you eat of it, you will die. How do you believe God's word? Okay, so what happened when he ate it? Immediately. Now, he died physically hundreds of years later. It took a while. Back then, they didn't have all the disease issues we have today. This was early on. It took hundreds of years for him to physically die. But from that moment, he died. And the word died, just so you know, in the Bible, means separated from God. He was immediately separated from God. He died spiritually. And uh, what that means is the light and life of God was taken from him in that moment. Okay, so it says in John's gospel about Jesus, it says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Okay, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. Okay, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, that light and life left them. That moment, it left them. That moment. Isn't it interesting? It says in Genesis chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Why was that true? Well, because sin hadn't entered the world. There was no selfishness. There was no greed. Uh, there was no lust. There was no Anything that we understand in, in our world about sexuality, there was none of that yet because, of course, the enemy has this strategic plan bringing about this idealistic fantasy about sexuality, trying to move our society to pursue and look for life in something that won't bring life. It's not that it's not a gift from God. And it's not that it's not enjoyable, but it's not life. Okay? So they hadn't experienced that yet. They... They were naked and felt absolutely no shame. Why? They were closed with the, the light and life of God. That doesn't mean they didn't see their naked bodies. They just didn't care. They were without lust, without selfish motivation. Uh, nothing yet had brought shame into their life. Now, we don't understand that. We've never experienced that. Some of us have tasted at times in moments of revelation during our devotion, we'll sense the light of God. And there's a longing for that light. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll sense his light in my devotion time. I just kiss the book. I'm just so thankful for the book. Because it's real. It's alive. See, that light and life is in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus could say, I'm the light of the world. And we, we get glimpses of it. But when we see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Aren't you excited for that day? Hallelujah. The light and life of God. It will be returned to us completely. Now we see in a mere dimly. But then we'll see face to face. Someone could say hallelujah. Now when they sinned, immediately the light was gone. What did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. Immediately they were aware of guilt and shame and lust and greed. Okay, so they took fig leaves and sewed them together. And what else did they do? They hid from God. God came walking in the cool of the evening. And so 
immediately they died. They died spiritually. And from that point forward, then they began to die physically in their bodies. It took several hundred years. But it says in Romans 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And that separation from God, that darkness, we were literally born. David says it in Psalm 51, I was born in sin. The moment my mother conceived me, uh, there was sin and separation from God. So as a society, we try to educate people so that they can live better lives socially and economically, and that's wonderful. Uh, we, we, we try to uh, counsel uh, people so they can deal with their emotions and so they can deal with their humanity and get along better with others. And that's awesome. How many want a peaceful society? Peaceful life, peaceful relationships. We give therapy. We have programs like AA and 12-step, and they're awesome. They're helpful. They, they provide accountability, relationship, and support. They're wonderful things. But they don't solve our problem. As great as they are, I'm so thankful we have them. I'm so thankful God works through godly people to establish them and help through them, counselors and people in the medical field and uh, people in our educational system. It's awesome. But the problem is we're dead, separated from God for all eternity. That's the problem. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but a natural man, a naturally born, you're a natural, if you're a man, you're a natural man or a uh, woman, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually apprised. How many of you have ever talked to someone and said, I read the Bible. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. My wife had someone say, it was the greatest war novel I ever read. Okay, but he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. Why? We're dead. Dead men walking. We, we don't... God is the only one who can open our minds and our hearts so that we can be. And that's why verse 8 and 9 so important in this section of Scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. A corpse can't crawl out of a casket to try to improve their condition. <laughs> well, you try. I suppose. I don't know. They can't. You can't improve your condition. You're dead. But God. That's, that's the verse. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God. Now, there's another word in verse 2 that's really important. It's the word walk. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according uh, to the course of this world. The, world. the word walk literally means ordered your behavior, but it also carries with it a metaphor as you walked. As you walked, the word literally kind of means to browse or to meander without a goal or without a purpose. So 
you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly meandered, browsed, without a goal, without a purpose, uh, through life, uh, according to the course of this world, okay, all these uh, strategies of the enemy, this blueprint he has to draw people away from God, it affects every aspect of society, our media, our music, our educational systems, our medical systems. It's not that there aren't good things happening or that there aren't good people. But how many know the enemy has infiltrated everything? Literally everything in our society because we live in a fallen world. Okay? And before you knew Christ, you were dead. Didn't know it. Didn't know better. You know? And you were just meandering. Just kind of browsing. How many have ever gone shopping without a purpose? Okay, the men would say never. Okay. Ladies would say it's fun. You just kind of look, you know. You just kind of meander, browse. It's kind of fun. And by the way, men, you do it in Cabela's. I, I know you do. Okay. But here's the problem. In the world, the enemy has crafted a strategy to attract you through your flesh. Remember? We're talking about the war with demons, we're talking about the war with the world, and we're talking about the war with our flesh. And our flesh has appetites that, uh, as a result, the world is designed to attract. And, of course, they have drawn us away from God. And even after God opens our eyes and we come alive, how many know that temptation is still there? It's still real. How many are familiar with the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? Tune my heart to sing your praise. Great song. I love it. Uh, Robert Robertson, uh, by the way, when he was in his 20s, this is back in the 1970s, uh, he got saved in his 20s, became a Methodist preacher and a songwriter, and he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And there's a line in it that I cringe every time I sing it because I know it's so true. I start to sing it and I go, oh, it's true. It, it goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Isn't that our nature? Even though if you're a believer, God has opened your eyes, you've experienced his grace, but your heart, we trained our heart. And by the way, we do reap what we sow. And the more we sow to the flesh, we reap from the flesh, and there are things that we struggle with. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Aren't you thankful for grace? I, I want to tell you, you did nothing to get saved. You did nothing. You can't do nothing. You're dead. And, and you can't do anything to be forgiven again. That's why I'm so thankful for the phrase here that says, but God. Let's look at it in verse 4. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You know that but God phrase occurs 45 times in the Bible. And every time, it, it refers to a hopeless situation that God turned around. But God. Could we say it together? But God. You're here today. But God. Because of God. 
it's, it's because of God. He made us alive with Christ. And this word alive, it made us alive. That's actually one word in the Greek language. Uh, it, it, it's, it's translated better in the King James than any other version. The King James says, he hath quickened us. And that's what happened. God quickened you. You were dead. God reanimated your life. Okay, he quickened you. He took his life and his light away because of sin. And in a moment, he brought it back. And you were quickened. You were made alive. Hallelujah. Some of you have been striving to get saved for a long time. Where did we learn that? I hope not in church. If we did, bad preaching. <laughs> okay? Because God quickened us. Now, the question is, when did you have your quickening moment? Can you point to it? When did it happen for you? When were you quickened? I, I talk to people, and they say, Pastor, I've known God all my life. I, you know, he's always been there. I, I've never known a time when I was without him. I'm making some of you nervous right now. Okay? That may be true intellectually, but that's not true spiritually. Okay? That, that isn't... There's a moment when his light and life came into you again. And the reality of God became so evident. You thought, where have I been all of my life? Where have I been? Where have I been? Why didn't I see this? Why didn't I understand this? Because you were reanimated and quickened. Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may have learned about Christ when you were young, you grew up in church, and that's amazing. But I can promise you there was a moment, maybe in high school, young adult age, where you started to drift. And then there was a moment of quickening where you thought, man, I need to get back to God. I need to get back on track. That was God through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because salvation is a miracle, okay? Dead people coming alive, not just bad people uh, becoming better or becoming good. Mine happened for me uh, when I was up in the Three Sisters Mountains uh, hiking, and you've heard a little bit of my testimony several times, unfortunately, for those of you who've been apart for a long time, so sorry. But, um, you know, there are a variety of things that God did. Uh, people who talked to me and I felt convicted read the Bible, a variety of things I did. But one day, climbing in the Three Sisters area, wilderness area, I'm sitting on a rock, and I was physically lost. Some of you have heard this story. I got lost. I was getting a little nervous, starting to get dark. I'm a big chicken. And <laughs> I sat down on this rock, and I said, God, I'm lost. At least at that stage in my life, I knew to pray. You know, God, I'm lost. And in a moment, he showed me I was lost in my soul, that I was separated from God that I, I had rejected and I was refusing to want to follow God in my life, in my heart, and in my soul. And I literally said this. It came out of my mouth. In that moment, he showed me eternity. And I said, God, I'm sorry that I've rejected you. I, I literally 
got up from that walk, that rock, a different person, and I started following toward Jesus in my life. And it changed everything from that moment forward. That was the day I came alive. So when is your moment? I, I just want to encourage you. There's a point where you made a decision this morning where you realized God was real. And you've never been the same since. And even though many of us, we learned a lot about Christianity and how Christians should believe or how they should behave. And maybe you've tried to, you know, hold yourself back in a variety of different things and different ways to be a good person. That's awesome. But that is not what has saved you. The only thing that can save you is a miracle from God. He quickens us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and we, we come alive, and, and we all need that moment. And I want to encourage you, if you're listening to me, and you've got doubts in your mind going, well, well I'm not saved. <laughs> Maybe that's a conversation you should have with God. Maybe the Holy Spirit will show you the moment where he changed your life. Maybe you have been walking with God for three years, five years, 10 years. Hallelujah. But ask him to show you the moment now, the big question is, why does God do that? I mean, really? Why does he do it? And the answer is because he wanted to. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And he wanted to. Hallelujah. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. A wretch like. See, God saved you because he wanted to. You, you couldn't do anything to deserve it. You couldn't clean up your life. You couldn't clean up your act. You were dead. But he made you alive. Verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy. Lamentations. Uh, 3, 22 and 23, it says, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. It's because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. How many are thankful for that? It's because of his mercy. It's what God chose to do. I read a story. A uh, young man, his name is Dan Moran. And uh, maybe you saw this in guideposts uh, just a little while back. Uh, he grew up in a Christian home. Uh, Gave his life to Christ when he was about 17, a uh, year or so later. Uh, felt like God was calling him uh, to the ministry when he was on a mission trip. And uh, he did, decided he didn't want that. Um, he, he decided he wanted to be rich. He wanted to make some money. Uh, he, he decided he wanted to be cool. When I read that part of the article, I thought, wait a minute, am I not cool? Okay, that, but he, he wanted to be rich, and he wanted to be cool. And so uh, he, he uh, became a prodigal son, so to speak. He ran away, kind of like uh, Jonah and his call to Nineveh. He ran away from God. He did make a lot of money, and uh, he uh, started making a name for himself, uh, climbing the corporate ladder, uh, received the top award for marketing in this corporation that he was part of. Uh, on the night that they presented the award, afterwards he goes to a bar, has a few, and a few hours later, uh, he's in a car accident. He killed an elderly couple, husband and wife. 
Two months later, finally, after all the investigation, he's charged with uh, two counts of manslaughter. And, of course, he's trying to figure out, how do I get out of this? Hires the best lawyer he can. He knows a lot of people. He's trying to pull a lot of strings. He's certain he can get out of it. But, unfortunately, on the day uh, uh, it's decided, uh, he's convicted of, of both counts. So, a few months later, they're finally uh, going to uh, sentence him. Uh, and... Uh, He's thinking, I gotta, I gotta figure out a way to get out of this. So he has about 40 people pile into the uh, courtroom to talk about what a great guy he is. And uh, so they do, he's a great guy, got all these things they say about him. And, and uh, by the time they're finished, he thought, I'm home free, it's good. So the judge asks, uh, is there anyone else who would like to say something before I give my sentence? And the daughter of this elderly couple stood up and said, Two simple sentences. She said, I'm not a vindictive person, but I would like justice to be served here today. That was my mom and dad. That was my children's grandma and grandpa that he killed with his car. And she sat down. And the judge sentenced them to six years in prison. Two, three-year terms. He was blown away. He never thought that's what would happen in his life. He was devastated. Now he's got six years in prison. Couldn't believe it. A year later... I love guideposts, got some great stories. A year later, in the middle of the night, the judge woke up and made a decision to pardon him. Just out of the blue. He had the authority to do that. Called him in, uh, made a decision to pardon him. Completely released him uh, from the rest of his sentence and uh, set him free. This was a few years ago now, and uh, since that time, Dan and his wife Debbie and their son Seth have been proclaiming the power of the gospel. <laughs> uh, 39 different states across the nation they have preached the gospel. He's told his story, and, and uh, now 11 countries in the world he's shared his story. Can I tell you what grace is? Grace is God's gift to you. You don't deserve it. Justice would require for you to be eternally separated from God. But God in his love, hallelujah, he has declared you through Jesus Christ not guilty. By grace we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Can you imagine how crummy heaven would be? If you could boast about what you did, could you imagine how crummy it would be? Everybody up there, well, you know, I gave all this money. Oh, yeah, well, I did all this. All these people, I helped. All the, the preachers would be the worst. Well, I saved all these people. My church was 40,000 and... Man, we would all be running for the exits. Hallelujah. No, it wasn't you. 
You didn't do a stinking thing. By grace. God made a decision because he is merciful. Hallelujah. And full of loving kindness. I'm so thankful for that. So full. It says in verse 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you know that it will take for eternity for God to show you his love for you? It'll, it'll take for eternity so that in the ages to come. We're excited about his love on the cross, aren't we? Hallelujah. But it doesn't stop there. His love for you will last for all eternity and for ages to come he will reveal the amazing love he has for you in Jesus Christ that means a thousand years from now a million years from now a billion years from now can you imagine for ages to come God will show his amazing love for you in Christ Jesus I'm going to invite the worship team to come Uh, as always I've got more So this is how I'll finish. This is who you were, but now, but God. And and this is what he's doing. For we are God's workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That deserves another sermon, just what that literally means. The word is the one we get our word poem. We're his poem to the world. He's expressing his love through us. Now, here's the problem. I don't know about you, but when I think about myself being God's masterpiece, I think about all my weaknesses. I don't know about you. I think about all the struggles. I think about all my fears. I think about all my anxieties. I think about my wrestle with lust, greed, whatever. I think about all... What can I say? I followed the course of this world, didn't, didn't you? I followed the course of this world. I sowed to the flesh, and I struggle with those things. Hallelujah for grace. It's not that I take sin for granted, but I understand it's only by grace that I was saved, and it's only by grace that I can be forgiven as I continue to walk. So I'm celebrating that, but I see all my weaknesses. Have you ever been in a house that's being remodeled? It gets torn apart, and you know there are wires, and there's plumbing, and it's a mess. Sometimes it stinks a little bit. That's the way we see ourselves. But God sees the finished product. He sees, He sees the masterpiece that He's painting. He sees who you're becoming. He sees your influence in this life. Do you know that He's working through you in spite of you? God works through broken people to bring glory to his name on earth and for all eternity. That's what gives glory to God. Hallelujah. That's what gives glory to God. I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to invite you to stand here this morning. I'll pray a prayer. Let's declare together I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for grace. Lord, it's, it's hard I've been working on this for 45 years, and I still don't understand it. Lord, your amazing grace, I can't grasp it. But I pray for all of us here this morning that we could fall in love with you again and bask in your grace. Lord, I pray for each person who can't point to the moment when you quickened them. 
Lord, help them see that. Open their eyes to the moment. Lord, maybe they need to commit their life to you in a fresh way. I don't know. But Lord, only you can do this by your spirit. So we ask you to move in our lives, move among us. We thank you for hearing our prayers in Jesus' name. And we all say amen together.